nation's capital. This is D.C. Public Safety. I'm your host, Leonard Sipes. Ladies and gentlemen, social impact bonds pay for success or making government more evidence-based, more creative, and more receptive to new ideas. Back at our microphones, John Roman, Senior Fellow, Justice Policy Center, Urban Institute, www.urban.org, www.urban.org. John, welcome back to D.C. Public Safety. Thank you very much. All right, you're my favorite guest because all I have to do is wind you up and let you go. And so that's what we're going to do today, social impact bonds. What the heck are social impact bonds? So this is a new idea, and it's probably the biggest idea that's out there today in terms of reforming criminal and juvenile justice systems along with public health, workforce development, economic redevelopment, pretty much any anything that you can think of. Uh, what we're trying to do here is we're trying to get private companies to invest in traditionally public sector activities, which will allow governments to do all kinds of things that they've always wanted to do but never had the resources to pursue. So the basic idea is Goldman Sachs in in uh, in, the, in the deal that we're going to talk about in a minute um, invested in a program to help prisoners at Rikers Island, which is the New York City jail, which is a very distressed uh, little corner of the world. It's <laughs> it, it's crazy. It's a Rikers, to Rikers Island is crazy. Yes, uh, and and a place that needs new resources to invest in a new program that hadn't been implemented there before. With the with the idea that the government of New York City would only pay back uh, Goldman. Sachs if the investment met performance targets that all the parties agreed to before the transaction was implemented. What was the program? What were they trying to do? So what they were trying to do was, a, was basically uh, a program called Moral Recognition Therapy mm-hmm. run uh, uh, called, uh, through a program called ABLE. Uh, and the idea was to work with 16 to 18-year-olds. So mm-hmm. New, York, New York is one of only two states left in the country where 16 and 17-year-olds uh, automatically enter the adult criminal justice system. And so you have certain responsibilities to, to treat these young people in different ways than you would adults. Mm-hmm. And this program was an attempt to try and deliver more services to them uh, to the tune of over $9 million worth of new services to, to you know, um, hundreds if not uh, thousands of young people in Rikers Island uh, in ways that they otherwise wouldn't have had an opportunity to, to, uh, to receive. Okay, for the non-criminal justice people out there, it's a jail. So it's not a prison. And so either they're awaiting trial or they're serving short sentences. Which category does these people do these people fall in? So the goal was, and this was really part of why this was very complicated. So the goal here was to try and serve people who were there on a sentence mm-hmm. uh, or were, were serving a long p- period of pretrial detention. And, and, okay. pre- and that just means that there's somebody who had done something that meant that the court wasn't going to let them go out on the street until their, their case was adjudicated uh, in, in the courtroom or people who'd gotten a short sentence less than one year, three, six, nine, 12 months, uh, who were there for long enough that they had, there was the potential that you could actually deliver some services with some real dosage. Okay. Well, that's, that's the point. They were there long enough to deliver the services and were the services delivered as implement as, as designed. Yeah, they really weren't. And, and, um, yes or no, yeah, weren't no they okay. were not. Okay. And so the, the, the idea here is to say, you know, um, 
there, it, it, so this was a really – so we should take one gigantic step back, if we <laughs> might, and say this is an idea that has been implemented around the world. Mm-hmm. There are social impact bonds in the United Kingdom. There are 20 of them. Uh, there's half a dozen in Australia. There are social impact bonds. Um, I was reading a piece today about social impact bonds being developed in Brazil and Mexico. I know Israel's looking at them. Netherlands. They're all around the world. Okay, so, so this is much bigger than any of us realize. That's exactly right. So this is this is the new idea, and the new idea is that we have all of these programs that have some evidence base, mm-hmm. right? So I think people don't really understand that we know so much more about how to help really disadvantaged populations than we did 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started at Urban in 1997, and what we know about what's effective in serving people is completely um, uh, exponentially grown since I started. Mm-hmm. But what hasn't grown is the resources to fund these programs, to test whether they work, and then implement them at scale. Why? So, you know, when I was talking to people about this program, getting ready to do the program, they were saying, you know, Leonard, really intriguing idea. But if the ideas were so good, why isn't government funding? So this is really why, the, why, why isn't government funding these programs if, if if they're so evidence based, if they're so impactful? So, so I have two responses to that, and and one is really simple: they don't. Um, so we've talked on this uh, program before, and you've probably talked a lot about drug courts. Yes. So drug courts are an idea where you take people who are drug involved, and it's their drug usage that's causing them to to offend, mm-hmm. and that if you address the underlying substance abuse issue, you could get them to stop offending and lead more productive lives, and that would save taxpayers money. And, and drug courts idea. are generally seen as effective. And drug courts are seen as effective. There's yes. an enormous amount of research around drug courts that shows that they have an effect. Right. Um, We've been doing these things for 25 years. Right. They're in every major county. There's 3,000 counties in America. They're probably in 2,000 of them. Right, and that's the point. And I mean, they're shown to be effective, and government has implemented them in hundreds of jurisdictions throughout the United States and Canada and throughout the world. And, but then, but that's right where you hit the problem. And the problem is we did a study about five years ago where we went and looked at of the 1.5 million people who enter the American criminal justice system every year, right. which is an astonishingly large number, yes, we estimated that maybe th- that 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 of uh, I'm sorry, the 1.5 million offenders who enter the American criminal justice system who are uh, at risk of substance abuse uh, disorders. Of that 1.5 million, maybe 3% got a drug court. Right. And then some really smart researchers at the University of Maryland came on behind us, redid our study using different data, and they estimated that we were wrong, that in fact it's less than 1%. Mm-hmm. So here we have an idea that is universally accepted. This is a way to stop future offending. This is a way to help disadvantaged people. This is a way to make America a better place. And we don't do it. In any large numbers. I do want to get on the social impact bonds because it's intriguing and you're saying it's a national effort or an international effort and we should really be paying attention to it. But again, the people that I talk to are saying, Leonard, if it's so daggone effective, mm-hmm. why aren't we getting the funding for it? Why do we have to go to Goldman Sachs? Why do we have to go with hat in hand? I mean, why don't we just start Kickstarter programs for drug treatment and for mental health? I mean, it's a, that, why doesn't the government, if government is saying they want fewer people in the criminal justice system, if government 
government is saying we cannot stand the strain of the correctional budget as it currently is. We want to have fewer people recidivate, fewer people enter the criminal justice system. Why the heck doesn't government pay for it? Well, government doesn't pay for it. Uh, Why? um, Well, I mean, there's a bunch of reasons for it. So so one of the reasons for it is that the results of these interventions occur way down the road. They're not today. They're distant. And the administration that funds it today won't be around when those benefits accrue. And so they'd rather fund things where the benefits will occur while they're in office. That makes total sense. Um, The populations that we're talking about are very difficult to serve. a drug-involved population is um, uh, drug courts are a great example. Drug abuse treatment is a great example. It's not effective for everybody every time, right? Relapse is part of recovery, and so you have to know that you're going to make the overall average population better, but you're not going to help every person. And what that means is you're going to be putting people out on the street instead of in prison, which is what you normally do with these folks, and some of them are going to commit new offenses, and for that's politically untenable for some populations. Mm-hmm. And then at the other end of the spectrum, a lot of the people that we're talking about helping with these kinds of programs just don't have a political constituency. They aren't very sympathetic. All right. I, I don't want to take away from the program on social impact bonds, but I promised others when I was doing my research for the program that I would ask that question. Um, so social impact bonds, very big. They're happening throughout the world. Uh, why social impact bonds? You may have just answered the question. Mm-hmm. Government unto itself really does not want to take these programs on. So there's, there's three there's three things going on here that are really important. So if you think about the research, I'm a a researcher, so I come at it from an evidence base and I come at it from the perspective of trying to get government to invest more in outcomes Mm -hmm. rather than good intentions. Mm -hmm. Um, What I'd like to see is for uh, social service providers to get good evidence around their good works instead of just good intentions, which Mm -hmm. is where we are today. Um, So there's a lot of stuff that goes on out there that sounds good on paper that does not have any research support around it. Mm -hmm. And so part of what these uh, these bonds do is because you have to go to an investor who's going to write a check, and in some cases these are really big checks, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The Department of Labor, the U.S. Department of Labor has funded a couple of these uh, transactions to the tune of $15 million. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about real large investments. Mm -hmm. If you're going to get somebody to write a $15 million check for you, you better have some sound evidence to demonstrate to them what their expectations should be for how effective this thing is and whether you're going to be able to achieve the performance goals that you've outlined in the agreement. I mean, people watching the Shark Tank program, I would imagine the, you have that sort of atmosphere. They're saying, hey, you know, prove to me that there is a research base behind these programs. We're not going to write you a check for anything until you come along and provide us with enough evidence that leads us to believe that we're going to get a return on our investment. Um, so there has to be an evidence base. Are, are, is the private sector better <laughs> at, at understanding evidence-based procedures in government? So there's two questions in there. So one is, am I willing to put my scholarship aside and admit that I watch Shark uh, Tank? Uh, and, I, and I do. It's my wife's uh, favorite it's, program. It's, it's a wonderful show. And it really, it really is exactly the sort of thing we're talking about here, except that the scale is way smaller than what we're talking about here. There they're talking you know, six figures, hundreds of thousands. Here right. we're talking tens of millions. Right. And maybe more down the road. And you have to be able to go to the same kind of investors, um, high net worth investors and ultra high net worth 
worth investors, right? People with $500 million that they want to invest. And you have to convince them that you are going to, you know, you are going to reinvent Cleveland. You are going to do urban redevelopment in Akron. You are going to solve asthma in Fresno, right? You are going to cure blight in Baltimore. And if you can make a case that's evidence-based to these folks, they're going to be willing to invest in a way where they don't actually even get a, a market rate of return. Because if they, if, if the program doesn't succeed, and there are endless mm-hmm. issues in terms of whether or not a program succeeds, implementation is one of the hardest things in the face of the earth. If it doesn't succeed, it, it may not have anything to do with the evidence. It may just be how it's implemented. It may mm-hmm. be how, how faithful people were to the original program design. They don't get anything at all. They only get the return on their dollars the program is paid for by government if it works and in this case the question becomes did it reduce recidivism in this case it didn't reduce recidivism thereby goldman walks away from the table with nothing in its pocket so i want to come back to the rikers island deal because i think that's it's really it's really important to the development of, of this concept to understand what happened in new york city okay um, but what I want to say is your point about implementation fidelity, fidelity to best practice is really critical. And mm-hmm. that's actually part of what's going on here. And it's part of what's so exciting about this whole prospect. So Department of Labor funded the state of Massachusetts to do a program for young adult offenders in Massachusetts mm-hmm. uh, called ROCA. And what they're trying to do there is to understand if they reduce the number of jail bed days that you would have expected from new offending. Okay. Right. Compared to, to people who don't get this program. Right. The other thing that they're doing that's really important is, and so the Urban Institute is doing that, that validation. Mm-hmm. Another group, Apt Associates, is doing an implementation assessment. And what they're, the question they're asking is, have you implemented this p- program as close to best practice as possible? A process evaluation. A yes. process, and, and, but uh, more than that, implementation science is what right. we call right. it, right? And, and so what we're learning is we're learning whether government can come together and get the data together to do this big system reform. We're learning whether this kind of program helps young people involved in the criminal justice system. And we're learning how to put these things in place in a way that will inform the next time we try and replicate this in another place at another time. All right. Any answers to any of those questions? Uh, we don't have them yet, um, but what we think is really important in all of this process is that the process itself is a reform, right? So what we want to do is we want to go to a juvenile and, a, and adult criminal justice systems, and we want to say to them, who are the drivers of your cost and populations? Who are the people you serve over and over again? Right. Why have you failed with this population? Right. Getting, getting people to admit that they failed is really, really hard. Um, but... But why is it that the same people keep coming in over and over? Because that is evidence of failure. Is there evidence out there about a program that you could be implementing that would help these people be more successful with their lives and save your taxpayers' resources? Okay. And is a social impact bond the way to finance that? Now, is a social impact bond part of that Massachusetts Initiative. I heard Department of Labor. Who else? Uh, so it's, it, it is it is funded. It's um, third sector is the the intermediary. There is uh, private financing that's okay. associated with it. So all the dollars that are paying for this upfront uh, come from somebody's pocket. Uh, other than the Massachusetts state government, the federal government is paying for some of the implementation pieces and the evaluation okay. pieces and the data integration. And so the, the private sector pieces. is putting up money. 
private sector is putting up another $15 million. Wow. So it's about a $30 million transaction. That's a huge investment. That's a huge investment. And the, so what we're doing here is we're thinking about um, investing in, in chronically disadvantaged populations right. at a completely different scale than we've thought about it at right. all. I mean, if you think about the Second Chance Act, you're talking about that was $100 million across all 50 states. Yes. That's $2 yes. million dollars yes. a state. Right. Here we're talking about $30 million for one state. I want to talk about how expensive these programs are. I'm not quite sure the average person realizes when in terms of what we do at the Court Services and Offender Supervision Agency for high-risk um, people is to put them in a 28-day residential program, then put them into a 90-day um, a residential treatment program, then put them in into an aftercare program. All that carries enormous expense. But ladies and gentlemen, back at our microphones, John Roman, Senior Fellow, Justice Policy Center, Urban Institute, www.urban.org, talking about social impact bonds. Um, John, so this is exciting. So what you're saying is, is that we can sell hard-nosed, demanding individuals who only invest their money if they see the potential for a return on their dollars and there's enough evidence out there or they're willing to to do social change mm-hmm. or an intervention programs on a very large scale. Right. So so let me give you let me give you um, let me give you one example and I can give you others if you, if you want to hear them. So there is a new drug therapy that actually cures hepatitis C. Mm-hmm. And that's important for our discussion here because something like two-thirds of people with hepatitis C in America uh, contact the criminal justice system at some point, mm-hmm. right? So you get yes. hepatitis C yes. because of prostitution or intravenous drug use or right. something like that. Right. We, we actually have this medical therapy that is uh, a three-month course of uh, pills, basically, that you take that at the end of the three months, you no longer have hepatitis C. The only other cure for hepatitis C is a liver transplant, mm. which is like a million bucks. Right. Um, the course of treatment is about $85,000 over three months, right? And, you know, we're talking something like 7%. For one person? For one person. My God. We're talking about 7% of the criminal justice population has hepatitis C. Right. We're talking hundreds of thousands of people. Right. Almost $100,000 per person. Got it. There's, you know, when you talk about needing resources on that scale, there is no solution. Right? Right. Right. So this is the solution. So you could come along and you could go to Goldman or J.P. Morgan Chase or Bank of America or Deutsche Bank or whoever these of folks have all expressed interest in this concept and say to them, look, we will, as the government, have this enormous uh, financial benefit from having treated these people for this condition because we won't have to treat them. We won't have prisoners that need liver transplants that we have to pay for. So we'll pay you back with a profit. Is this actually happening? And this, is, this one's on the, on, the, on the books, but we're talking about these things around um, – another big one is asthma. It's a very similar idea. All right. Well, the medical part of it I understand. The criminal justice system oftentimes to me strikes me as being a hard sell, which is one of the reasons why the data that I've seen in the past is that fewer than 10 percent of all people in prison mm-hmm. have access to – Substance abuse treatment. Right. And even the substance abuse treatment that's there is not very good, and right. the numbers are tiny. So if 80% of history is the substance abuse, 10% are getting it, you say to yourself, well, does, is it that government doesn't care? Um, th- what you're talking about is revolutionary. What you're talking about is not um, social impact bonds. What you're talking about is a process, a sea change, a different way of conducting criminal justice, a different way of conducting public health. It's not government 
and that's that's driving the boat anymore. Um, it, it's it's industry. It's investment. It's the people who are very demanding, very specific, very Mm -hmm. evidence-based. These are the people that possibly could bring upon significant change within public health and the criminal justice system across the board. What you're talking about is monumental. Yeah, I mean, I think what we're talking about... Am I exaggerating or not? No, I think it's a totally different way of thinking about the the world. And and we've talked about it, you know, in, in... you know, in in, uh, in Ottawa, to the Canadian government, and Israel, and London, and all over the world, and and people see the the, the opportunity here. And the idea here is really simple. We want to turn the problem upside down. So the problem has been, how do we get resources to help people with a particular problem? And mm-hmm. what we want to say instead is, hold on. We have evidence about how to solve some particular problems. How do we get resources to those things instead of the things that we are funding as business as usual now? Mm-hmm. And in some, in some respects, what we want to say is really simple. Some things that we do don't really work, right? I mean, we've talked about, you and I have talked about like... Or don't work very well. Or don't work like dare, right? Everybody, right. every school's got a dare. Police officer comes but people in. people love it. People love it or people scared it. straight. And there's absolutely no evidence that any of this stuff changes anybody's True. behavior. In some ways, it might cause worse behavior. When the dare guy comes in and shows your kid his suitcase full of drugs, mm-hmm. right? Some of your kids are going to be like, oh, so that's what cocaine looks like. Cool. That's not what I thought. But that's, that's not good for them. The weird thing about government is because we do all sorts of things that make people feel good but really don't have an evidence right. base behind it. Right. And so what we want to do here is to say, look, uh, I, could give you, I could give you a laundry list of things that I have an evidence – that I believe have an evidence base that is overwhelming that we should do at scale, that mm-hmm. everybody who, who needs this help should get it, right? Yeah, um, of course. And we're talking about – you know, in, in our world, we're talking about high-risk adolescents. We're talking about family-based therapies. We're talking about multi-systemic therapy. We're talking about, we're talking about programs with evidence bases that are so compelling that, that, that the most sophisticated researchers in the world, the most skeptical researchers in the world are saying $15 in benefit for every dollar in cost, only they're really expensive. How do we raise the money to get those benefits? And this is the answer. Well, and, and, and it's not just the answer. It's not just a matter of money. From dealing with business people in the past, I'm dealing with government throughout my entire career. The business people have an entirely different mindset. Very polite, very nice, but very demanding. Yes. Uh, very precise. Yes. I mean, they are, especially, you know, I, I worked with um, uh, marketers mm-hmm. um, in, in the past. And, you know, marketing in the private sector is a different world. It's very precise. It's like driving a jet plane. It's like right. driving a 747. It's a very precise set of rules and understandings and operations. And if you don't follow these precise precise rules, um, procedures, and understandings, they ground you. I mean, it's, it's, it's do not pass go, do not collect $200. Government is far more mushier than, than the private sector. So if you're telling me that the private sector is convinced of evidence-based procedures and they're going to start coming in and they're going to start funding this, it's a sea change in terms of what we're talking about, not just for the criminal justice system, but the delivery of services to, to underserved populations across the board. I mean, I think what's been really really interested in this is that when we when we approach this and we started thinking about this in 2009 um, and the first the Rikers deal happened shortly after that the first deal in the United Kingdom happened at about that time and then every year it grows more and more quickly when we first thought about this we knew there were three players in this equation there was the government there was private philanthropy, right? Mm-hmm. People who give grants, give away their money, mm-hmm. and, and investment, uh, uh, commercial investment 
bankers. Mm -hmm. And we assume the government would love this idea because what this idea does is it says to the government, here's some money to do something you can't do and you only have to pay us back if it works. The government loses control. Okay. The, uh, you're, you're getting ahead of me, but that's where I'm headed. So philanthropy, we thought this would be very interesting to them because they this this allows them to leverage their giving and give the same dollar over and over again, mm-hmm. right? We thought investment bankers would be the hardest sell, right? We thought mm-hmm. these people would be very hard headed and they wouldn't you know they would they they wouldn't be interested in the rates of return that they were getting. Mm-hmm. The actual operational practical reality is the absolute reverse. The investment bankers are extremely interested in this idea. In fact, there are hundreds of millions of dollars, if not a billion dollars or more, on the sidelines looking for deals to invest in. They can't find the deals. The philanthropists have sort of been a little, you know, scratching their heads at this whole concept and haven't weighed in as deeply as as we had expected. And the governments, probably for the reason that you just raised, which is that when they get engaged in these deals, they, they lose control, have really, you know, had people come to them and say, I will give you $100 million and I can solve this big problem for your entire population in your state. Would you like me to do it? You only have to pay me back if it works. And they've said, no, thank you. You're not – I'm not the first person to suggest to you as a lifelong researcher that government doesn't trust empiricists. Um, government likes to do what government wants to do. Um, and and, and, and we, we do that from a very common sense perspective yeah. because we believe that the delivery of this particular service is going to work. We're not interested in somebody coming along and measuring it and telling us whether it does or it does not. We believe it works. Thereby, do not pass go. Do not collect $200. We're, we're comfortable with that, and that's how we proceed. You're talking about a different world. You're talking about a different mindset. You're talking about a prove it to me and prove it to me consistently. And we're going to hold you to these markers. Have you met these markers at the eighth point, the quarter point? Yep. Uh, and, 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 and if you didn't, why not? So it puts government under a spotlight and we're not happy about that. So I think what's really important, what's happened, we, we started out by talking about the Rikers deal and the Rikers deal ended up not going all the way to the end because it wasn't meeting the performance measures mm-hmm. that, that had been agreed upon at the outset by Goldman Sachs and Bloomberg Foundation, who were the ones who, who underwrote it, who, mm-hmm. who, who you know, basically insured the, tr- the deal. What, go- what Mayor Mike Bloomberg did and Deputy Mayor Linda Gibbs did in New York City was really brave and really critical because what they said was, no, we're going to take the biggest – I think it's the biggest city government in the United States mm-hmm. and we're going to get behind this concept and we're going to test it. And we know there's a chance it isn't going to work, but that will provide a precedent for other cities and other counties and other states to think about investing in this. And that propelled this field forward. And now you have Salt Lake County Mayor Ben McAdams is really pushing this and, and the Corporation for National Community Services put you know $11 million behind this and Department of Labor and Department of Justice. And you know it's probably a $100 million industry and none of that would have, would have happened without some government having the courage to step forward knowing that it might fail. And that happened and that sparked everything that's gone from So there. we're not talking about social impact bonds. I said this before and I'm probably uh, being repetitive to the point of fault. Um, but we're not talking about social impact bonds. We're not talking about delivery of services. We're talking about funding fundamentally changing the way government operates through a public-private partnership. So I think that the, the, the metaphor that I always tell, uh, and I think, I think it works, is um, so we're, we're sitting in the heart of Washington, D.C. There's a big commercial uh, corridor right around the corner, 7th and 8th Street. There's a big uh, stadium there. There's tons of bars and restaurants. And at some point tonight, I can just about guarantee you that a, a Metropolitan Police Department uh, officer is going 
going to engage with somebody who is in crisis and mm-hmm. they might be they might be drunk they might be having a mental health problem they might have a substance abuse problem right. they might just be unhappy with their station in life yes that police officer is going to have to serve as a social worker to try and guide that person to engage in better behavior so they don't end up in the DC jail that sure. night of course they shouldn't be in that position. Mm-hmm. We should have the community infrastructure that helps serve that person. If it's mental health care, if it's drug abuse treatment, if it's alcohol, whatever it is that that person needs, we don't have the infrastructure to do it. And what this does is to to, to create a way to fund that infrastructure uh, in ways that just simply aren't going to happen if, if we don't go down this road. Uh, and that and th- and the idea isn't to privatize policing. The idea is to let that officer go back to being a peace officer, right. which is what they're trained to do and they know how to do and right. they're good at. And, you know, we've sort of forced all these people throughout our government to take on jobs that, that they aren't trained for. And we've, over the last couple of years, we've seen the results of that. And, you know, a lot of it's been, been not very pretty. Final minute of the program. Um, so what percentage of people who aren't getting substance abuse treatment today are going to get substance abuse treatment? What percentage of people who are... who desperately need mental health treatment are going to be getting mental health treatment. What percentage can we say the people who are underserved, who are not getting services now, will get services, say, in 10 years through a private public partnership? I mean, if you think about the the family-based therapies that I talked about, which are, which are ways to treat uh, high-risk young people in their homes with mom, with grandma, with the uncles, with the cousins, with their siblings, with their friends. Which is the most effective program I've seen out there. It's the most effective program that's out there, and the, 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 you know, it probably serves less than 10% of all the people yes. that it could. Um, we could get to 70%. Uh, by using this as a way to raise funding, to package together all of these things. The idea is called scale finance. Um, Steve Goldberg, Caffeinated Capital, uh, is pushing this idea. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. We could get a, a long ways to getting to 100%. And what are the odds of really doing that? I think we can do one state in the next few years. That's amazing. That's amazing. The most effective program that I'm aware of that does provide fundamental change and has a long-term impact on criminality and use of the criminal justice system. We could fund 75% in terms of one state. I think, I think within the next few years, some state will sign on to this and, uh, and we'll be able to, to take this to almost every uh, young person who needs it. You know, we, we pro- proposed the program today, a program on social impact bonds. Uh, it's turned out to be much more than that, and I hope everybody stuck with us through the program to <laughs> the final conclusion. John Roman, uh, Senior Fellow, Justice Policy Center, Urban Institute, www.urban.org, www.urban.org. He has three uh, articles talking about the situation in Rikers Island, and I'll put all three in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen. This is this is DC Public Safety. Uh, we appreciate your comments. We even appreciate your criticisms, and we want everybody to have yourselves a very pleasant day.